0: Hello and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show where your hosts, Chris and Philly, co-founders of multi-award winning functional medicine practice serving busy people with energy, mood and gut issues.
1: While busyness, overworking, addictive doing and perfectionism might be the norm, it's not normal and it's a major contributor to health issues.
0: Our goal with this show is to give you a holistic root, root cause approach to healing your body so that you don't have to continue doctor or diet hopping or popping a gazillion supplements, hoping something might stick. So get
1: ready to heal your body, get your spark back, deeply connect with yourself and step into the life of your dreams. Let's dive in. Hello. It is Philly here on the Ending Body Burnout Show. I am so excited to bring you today's episode with Dr. Narala Jacoby. Now, this woman is amazing. She is a wealth of knowledge of all things SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, quite a few years ago, when I started practicing in functional medicine, I felt like there was a missing link in what I was doing in terms of gut health, doing a lot of comprehensive stool tests and looking at the large intestines and pathogens and leaky gut. But I found that there were some clients who had really tricky health issues that weren't getting better with my usual methods. And so that's where I came across SIBO and Dr. Nurala Jacobi. So she's known as the SIBO doctor um, here in Australia and, oh my gosh, did all her courses, all her certifications, had some one-on-one mentor um, sessions with her and she has been a huge part in our practice and especially how we treat certain health conditions, including SIBO. So just as a... Um, a recap or a bio about Dr. Narala Jacobi. So she's a naturopathic doctor, an internationally recognized expert on small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. is the creator of the SIBO biphasic diet, a resource that has helped tens of thousands of SIBO sufferers around, around the world. And if you've worked with us, you have seen that this is a protocol that we use um, when treating SIBO. Dr. Jacoby is the host of the SIBO Doctor podcast and the founder of the SIBO Doctor, an online educational platform that includes a practitioner certification program. She is also the medical director of SIBO Test, providing innovative testing options for SIBO and IBS. Dr. Jacoby is known for her systemic and effective approach to diagnosing and treating SIBO and other functional digestive disorders. Having received her naturopathic doctorate in 1998 from the esteemed bastar the I think I have pronounced that right, University in Seattle, Washington, she brings more than two decades of clinical experience and expertise to her patient clinic, the Biome Clinic. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Okay, so, so excited to have Dr. Narala Jacoby on our podcast today, fangirl here. <laughs> As I said in the intro, she has been a pivotal mentor in our own practice, especially in regards to gut health and treating SIBO. So let's dive in. How did you become a leading expert in gastrointestinal health? and what got you into specializing in this area?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me onto your podcast, Philippa. It's really nice to chat with a colleague who has herself so much knowledge in this field. So um, basically, you know, I was a naturopathic doctor in America, primary care physician role in Montana. Um, And basically, I treated a lot of digestive disorders because people have you know, crappy diets, they have a lot of antibiotic use. And so we're very familiar with this type of presentation where somebody just has digestive issues. And so I always loved that that side of naturopathic medicine because we believe the, the gut is the root of the tree, right? Without a healthy digestive system, we really can't be healthy. And so we see a lot of systemic illness actually arise out of digestive conditions. But I'd never heard of SIBO until I actually went to a conference in 2011. And a couple of colleagues had uh, raised this topic, and it was like a light bulb went off in my mind. And it was like, this is the missing link of people um, that are just not improving with the things we do to help them overcome IBS and dyspepsia and reflux and gas and bloating and all the rest of it that we know about SIBO. And as an as a major cause of IVS, and it, they weren't improving with these uh, very well thought out protocols. So I just dove into the research and, um, and also started testing my patients and I wasn't satisfied with how the testing was done. So I started my own testing company here and um, that's been going for about 10 years now. And basically I found that it's just one of those, really um it can be very complex but it can be very simple but it can also be very complex and mm. you and I have had conversations about how complex it can be and how many uh faces it can it can have so uh, but yeah so it's it's been about 10 years and uh, I feel like I have a really good grasp of what SIBO is now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes I had some sessions with you where I'm like oh my gosh tricky client. I've done all the things. What now? And the things that you would just reel off that I hadn't even thought about. I'm like, this lady knows her stuff.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, school of hard knocks, like I've been Mm. in practice for 25 years and you just have to think laterally. And, and as you know, there's so many different, different aspects to what we do and the more we um, learn about different stuff, like the genomic stuff, for example, that was a whole piece that mm-hmm. I had to learn myself to really understand what kind of genomic um, contributions could could mean that somebody has a hard time overcoming SIBO, for example. So that yes. was also as learning along the way, you know, um, yep. a lot of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our podcast is dedicated to helping busy people who often have the patterns of overdoing, high-achieving, perfectionism, Mm people-pleasing, and their body burnout. Do you see a link between this type of people (laughs) or like the behavioral patterns that they have and gut disorders?
2: Absolutely, yeah, that goes without saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, With SIBO specifically, I have to say it's usually the people that um, have a hard time overcoming SIBO. It's not so much the underlying cause of SIBO that somebody – has a lot of stress and that causes SIBO. It's not usually, um, it can be a, par- a definitely a participating issue that entrenches somebody in, in chronic SIBO, um, but SIBO has very specific underlying causes. And sometimes, yes, if somebody has really sort of massive, massive, massive stress for many years, that can affect it to a level um, where it, it's possible that it can affect the upper gut motility but um, just standard stress that we see day to day will definitely affect digestive disorders, but not necessarily cause SIBO. I hope I was clear. Yeah. With
1: that. It's kind of like it can affect the things that then can lead to SIBO. So especially with the yeah. digestive organs, not being able to produce stomach acid and yeah.
0: the gallbladder exactly. producing yes. bile,
1: and it can kind of shut yes. down those things. Yes. Um, yes. What about with motility? So for people who don't know what that is, can you explain what that is? And then do you see like, is there a bit of a nervous system or stress link with motility?
2: Sure, I so I'm 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 kind of unsure if your if your audience actually knows what SIBO is. I'm sure you've had other podcasts about it. Should
1: be Yes, I have about. talked about it, but okay. how about just in case someone okay. this is the first just, time they've this is ever the listened? First time. Uh,
2: it actually um, <laughs> someone just sent me a photo of uh, it was I think it was Who Wants to be a Millionaire. It was actually a question I saw that on Australian Who Wants to be a millionaire. Uh, you know what is SIBO so it was yeah. pretty funny it's it, it's coming into the into the vernacular yeah. but basically SIBO is a it's a condition where bacteria that are normally in very small amounts in this in the intestinal tract uh, or in the small intestine are overgrown and that's a, a problem because this is where we um, absorb our nutrients where we digest our food and absorb our nutrients And this area is so vital for our well-being that there are lots of different checks and balances in place from the body to ensure bacteria don't overgrow. So you mentioned stomach acid. We make healthy amounts of stomach acid to digest um, our, or to start the process of unraveling proteins and breaking them down into peptides and pancreatic enzymes um, further this process. And then we also have bile that's secreted from the Uh, uh, gallbladder to help emulsify fats. And all of this is also these digestive juices are very um, bacteriostatic. So they they prevent bacterial overgrowth. Um, But then we also have a a very strong motility wave in the small intestine that's sort of imperceptible to us for the most part. Sometimes when your stomach is really growling because you're hungry, um, that's actually the uh, migrating motor complex, which is Part of the enteric nervous system, and it is a sort of cleansing wave that ensures that the small intestine is kept relatively free of bacteria, and it sweeps out the food and um, along with it any sort of bacterial, um, massive bacterial overgrowth, for the most part. So mm. those are the primary, you know, checks and balances that that exist to prevent bacterial overgrowth. But when you have a situation that, uh, like for example, a case of food poisoning uh, has happened to to you um, and that can actually damage the migrating motor complex because it induces an autoimmune um, response that then damages this cleansing wave. And so even though your bowel movements may not be affected, you may still have some problem with motility. And as you mentioned, there are also um, other conditions that can affect the motility of the upper gut. And that's a major sort of category of what causes SIBO.
1: Mm. Well, while we're on that topic, what are some other ways that motility can become damaged?
2: Well, independent of the migrating motor complex, we also have vagal dysfunction. And certainly you have you have probably talked a lot about this on your podcast because it is very in vogue to talk and, and to mention the vagus nerve, because it is so important uh, for our digestive tract. So for your listeners, you've heard, you've probably talked about the fight or flight syndrome, uh, or response, I should say, um, where we have a um, the autonomic nervous system that regulates how we respond to perceived threats. And the um, sympathetic nervous system is also known as the fight or flight. And then you have the rest and digest, which is the parasympathetic nervous system response. And the parasympathetic nervous system is very much related to uh, the the digestive processes, as the name implies. And an integral part of that is the vagus nerve, which innervates many organs along the the ways. So Mm. it's, you know, when you have massive stress, that can definitely affect the autonomic nervous system, um, and the vagus nerve itself, which which is considered the main uh, highway between the gut and the brain, also known as the gut-brain axis. Mm. So there's a lot there that's not necessarily just related to motility, but um, other, other factors as well.
1: Yeah, and then also um, surgery. So I find that a lot of uh, women who have had endometriosis, often also yeah, have So that's, Yeah.
2: So that's the other category mm. of underlying causes. So in, in my mind, there, there are four main categories of underlying causes. One is the motility aspect, which, come, which sort of covers the migrating motor complex. So damage to that, whether that's, um, like I said, through food poisoning or other types of um, infections that can co- also cause that. And then um, you have the gut brain problem or the vagal issues and the high stress and um, mold issues, right? Mm -hmm. So mold toxins can actually affect motility because uh, mycotoxins exert a certain toxicity to what we call the myenteric plexus, which is part of the enteric nervous system. And people that have chronic mold exposure... Um, very often have, have SIBO that you can't really treat until you've treated the mold. I don't know yeah. if you found that, but I certainly have experienced mm-hmm. that a lot. So, uh, and then the, the other category is structural issues, which is includes endometriosis. Mm-hmm. It includes any sort of surgery, whether that's um, cesarean or gallbladder removal or append- appendectomy or any of these very routine uh, abdominal surgeries can actually cause scar tissue and affects how um, how food moves through the digestive tract not because of scar tissue inside the digestive tract but inside the abdominal cavity that then creates sort of um, barriers to proper movement through through the gut and yeah. then the fourth category is more medications that also affect mostly motility um, in the gut so all in each category has Several different conditions, as you know, um, that that has to be sort of ruled out. Another big one with motility, for example, is hypothyroid,
1: right? Hypothyroidism. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and hypermobility too.
2: Yes, EDS. Is, um, yeah,
1: EDS has tissue. also
2: the, the uh, structural problem. Uh, so we see much less motility because of the um, the loss of connective tissue in the gut wall. So yeah. there are lots of different reasons why it's not as easy as just killing bacteria, right? But it'd
1: be great, wouldn't it? It's just like take these antibiotics or herbs and done. Or elemental yeah. diet's probably not that easy. <laughs> just do the elemental diet. Right, right. Um, we might touch on that sort of stuff in a second, but what are some really common symptoms then that you see with SIBO?
2: So, you know, I see the really complex cases because um, I, that's, that's what I do. People have already seen other practitioners and yes, they were—they had SIBO and they're still symptomatic and or they're not clearing SIBO. There's lots of different reasons why I see people. So my little, uh, you know, group of people that I see is very probably different. But for the most part, I'd say generally speaking, you see all the classic IBS symptoms, right? And IBS can be different for different people, but generally speaking, we have a lot of gas and bloating. Um, oftentimes there's also abdominal pain, which is known as visceral hypersensitivity, which is very classic with IBS. Um, and because remember that, I, that SIBO is, a, is actually a, a subset of IBS. Um, and then we also have bowel changes very often not always sometimes people do have normal stools but it's either a diarrhea pattern or a more constipation pattern mm. so there and then you have other types of symptoms that can also be related to sibo but not everyone has them like excessive belching or reflux or um you know, those would be probably the primary ones. There's, there's. I've seen so many different things be related to SIBO and clear up rashes, for example, mm. um, acne rosacea, restless leg syndrome, fibromyalgia. All those things are, are or conditions, are often also seen um, uh, be uh, comorbid with SIBO.
1: Yeah, actually, the worst. SIBO test in terms of the levels of the gases on the test that I've ever seen. This lady had no gut symptoms at all. And she just had quite a few food sensitivities and rosacea, and that was kind of her thing. But, oh goodness, we worked on her gut and all sorts of things, but quite a while. And while things got better, it didn't resolve. And I never really, in my mind, I'm like, oh, she doesn't have bloating. There's no digestive um, symptoms. That's why, you know, we didn't do SIBO testing right at the start, but then by the end of it, it's like, let's just test SIBO. Let's just rule it out. And sure enough, super high amounts of hydrogen, methane gases. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes
2: that can happen, you know, that people are sort of uh, very minimal with their symptoms. Mm. Um, And there's, it's kind of, it's a bit baffling when that happens, but Sometimes I've had patients like that too. That that they've had this so long that that's the normal for them, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So actually, when you do do the gut work and clear the SIBO, and it's like, oh wow, I actually didn't realise that I don't have to feel distended all the time. This that was abnormal how I was feeling, right? So testing then, because you have you mentioned earlier that you created your own um, way of testing SIBO because you were finding that the usual conventional or not even the conventional functional medicine way wasn't quite cutting it can you talk about that because there are quite a few different ways of testing SIBO right so
2: so by you know the gold standards uh, in terms of in-office testing I would say is is the lactulose breath test Mm. which is Uh, pretty standard now you know and you can get it definitely from different labs that that do a decent job that's uh, but back at back 10 years ago um, it you know I just didn't see um, a lot of the reference ranges that I wanted and the timing was you know I want a three-hour breath test not a two-hour breath test so um, that's why I kind of just forged ahead and um, purchased the machines and and all of that but but basically, it's it's still the lactulose breath test. Nothing has changed um, over the last 10 years with that, and we still only measure hydrogen and methane. There is a third gas that is produced by the bacteria if um, fusarium or desulfovibrio is present in the small intestine, and that's called hydrogen sulfide, and we're not able to test that. There's actually just one lab in America that offers that, which is, you know, it's kind of... Um, you ha- i always want to have have way more labs that offer that before my yeah. confidence level goes up in a particular you know test so, so but anyway so that's that's still there but you can have lactulose breath test glucose breath testing and um, fructose um, these are all different substrates that are slightly different fermented so sometimes when you have a negative lactulose breath test it's often helpful to follow up with a different substrate sugar to mm. see if you have bacteria that maybe don't ferment lactulose, but for the most part, it's it's most people do ferment lactulose, I'd say. Mm. And then you know there are companies that tout blood testing and um, stool testing. There is no stool test for SIBO, and that's because um, we have no way of accessing the small um, the small intestinal bacteria through a stool test. The stool just as representative of what's happening in the large intestine. And I know that there are a lot of people that extrapolate from that because we know that the bacteria that produce hydrogen mainly are Klebsiella in E. coli. And we see that all the time, right? On a stool Mm -hmm. test all the Mm -hmm. time. That doesn't mean it's in the small intestine. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, people, practitioners are taking a lot of liberty when they're, when they're diagnosing patients like that because it's a really distinct and discrete condition that um, is very very different from large intestinal dysbiosis because um, mm. it does a lot more damage, right in the in a small intestine. So that's that. And there is a new uh, blood test that uh, is just looking at antibodies to bacterial complexes. and and you know to be honest, I um, I I'm waiting to hear to, uh, to talk to some of the scientists at that lab but I really don't know how that can actually diagnose or differentiate between SIBO and leaky gut, right? Yeah, because okay. all you're doing is you're testing for immune responses to bacteria. Well, yep. it could be that was six months ago or it could be it was a year ago. So, and it could be that it was leaky gut unrelated. It could have been, you know, because of celiac disease or so. Mm-hmm. So I'm still really, um, I'm a bit cautious with my optimism about that test.
1: Hmm. I think that's what I love too. So, uh, you have a lot of courses on your website, the SIBO doctor, and cause it can get confusing, confusing, especially if you're a new practitioner and you open up a catalog of all the lab tests that you could do. And, and even the gut side of things as well. I, maybe it was, you mentioned on the course, or maybe I was hearing it somewhere else, but some people were also trying to diagnose SIBO using an organic acid urine test, right? Where there's yeah, yeah a panel there that looks at you know yeah. uh, your flora and that sort of stuff, and if that's high, then some people are like, oh yeah, you've got SIBO, but. That doesn't really work.
2: No. No, because first of all, an organic acid test only looks at your own organic response like responses to what's happening in your body. This is not location specific at all, right? Yeah. They're looking at bacterial markers and you have um, you know, in in the entirety of your digestive tract, you have trillions of organisms. So it's very difficult to pinpoint location, impossible to pinpoint location with mm. the hippuric acid and all those different markers on the bacterial section of a um organic acid test.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Treatment. <laughs> Obviously, you know, that's could be a very long conversation, but generally speaking, what are the different ways um that you teach practitioners and in your own clinic in terms of when it comes to treatment?
2: Yeah, and this is, um, you know, sort of my sweet spot because I I worked it out for over the years um, that it's best, in my experience, it's best to do it in a sort of a a really highly organized approach where you support the digestive process uh, a little bit before you actually introduce antimicrobials. And what I mean by that is, um, because it's a bacterial overgrowth, a lot of people are just given antimicrobials and or antibiotics, which are effective of, of you know, for the most part. But when you understand that SIBO causes brush border damage, right, and leaky gut, meaning that the enzymes that do that last crucial part of digestion are often damaged. Oftentimes we see histamine intolerance and other types of food intolerances as, um, as a result of SIBO. And we see detoxification impairments because of continued LPS absorption or endotoxemia because of this situation of E. coli and Klebsiella, a gram-negative And to just drop antibiotics or antimicrobials often works, don't get me wrong. But my approach has been a lot more um, to support digestion and to remove fermentable a little while. And then people are really primed for antimicrobials um, without much of the die off and sort of inflammatory response that can happen when you kill too many bacteria at once. So that's why I created the biphasic diet protocol, which basically divides it, the whole treatment into two phases. And I find that really um, very, very successful. But of course, SIBO, it, a lot of times when people, it's just a simple, you know, I don't know if you see those people anymore because I don't see the simple SIBOs, right? So maybe there are, they still exist. there is still they simple SIBOs out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, most of the time for me, it's, um, it's been, uh, you know, SIBO and this and that mm-hmm. and, uh, neurological symptoms and, you know, insomnia and blah, 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 blah. And so people need a lot more, um, uh, support in that area, but yeah, for the most part, treatment consists of Um, Going on a low FODMAP diet, if I can put it in a nutshell, right, so low FODMAP diet, which uh, means a low fermentable carbohydrate diet, Uh, then you can have uh, a choice of either antibiotics, and typically that antibiotic is rifaximin, if your hydrogen is high, A lot of doctors here in Australia don't like to prescribe neomycin because of the ototoxicity. So I often combine the uh, rifaximin with um, Alimed or Alimax, which is a type Mm of garlic extract that helps with uh, killing methane. And, uh, you know, then there's different herbs for uh, killing hydrogen as well. And then I always, depending on what other symptoms people have, I do peripheral support as well. And Mm then. When people are completed, I usually test again, because I like to know that it's completely clear. And then if, they, if I've determined that their cause of SIBO was from a damage to the motility aspect, then I um, add in a prokinetic, which is either a conventional prokinetic or a herbal prokinetic, which aims to reset the upper gut motility. So these are substances like ginger or artichoke or number of other things I use to um to help with normalizing the um the motility in the small intestine.
1: Yeah yeah awesome um elemental diet as well yeah
2: I do you know I'm it's it's harder to talk people into into the elemental diet. I do that mostly with um really high gases and people that have failed other treatments. So the elemental diet is not like a whey protein or pea protein kind of uh, formula. It's it's free form amino acids and uh, glucose and um, and basically fat, like some sort of oil, either medium chain triglycerides or something like that. So it's a it's almost like a pre digested formula that's also really great for um, peripheral support for people that have really inflamed digestive tracts because it gets very easily absorbed. So people with a Crohn's flare or ulcerative colitis flare, um, can do well with that as well. Mm,
1: Yeah. I, um, I, I attempted it for myself when I was treating my own gut stuff. I lasted 10 days, (laughs)
2: That's pretty
1: good. It was, good. It, and I maybe it was twelve, but then I retested, and luckily the SIBO was clear. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Like it was all that's worth great. it. Yeah, so, that's great. So, uh, for those who don't know, the Elemental Diet is a kind of like a medicated, formulated shake, nutritional shake, and you don't eat any food for two weeks, and you're yeah. just only having those shakes. Um, sometimes and it works. It, it does works. And for the
2: most part. It does work, which is always. Yeah. Just- Baffling to me that it works, but yeah, um, because the the idea is that uh, it's so highly absorbable that nutrients are absorbed before they can reach the bacteria in the small Mm. intestine, and so you're essentially starving them for two, three weeks,
1: yeah, yeah. And sometimes I'm surprised too when I'm presenting the different options of like, oh, you know, these are the ways we can treat SIBO. Sometimes there are people who are like, hell yeah, I'll do the shakes, then I don't have to worry about cooking all these foods, like the SIBO diet can be tricky for people as well, especially if they don't love cooking um, or they find it quite overwhelming. So sometimes that option is actually quite helpful for people.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Completely agree.
1: Okay. So do you, so in our practice, because we take a very holistic um, approach to healing body burnout, including looking at metaphysical root causes of, you know, trauma, which can um, cause a trauma brain loop happening in the body, nervous system dysregulation. And a lot of the times there's unconscious core self-limiting beliefs kind of stuck in the unconscious state, dysregulating the nervous system. Have you ever seen this, especially like you mentioned, you get a lot of the tricky patients? <laughs> yeah. Have you sure, come like- to a point where you've done all the physical stuff and all, all the protocols and still someone's body is sending them some pretty strong signals via the
0: gut?
2: So I don't wait until I've exhausted every possible um, antimicrobial before I address this issue with them because it's pretty, for me, it's pretty obvious when somebody has limbic system activation. Mm-hmm. And um You know, I make that early on in my appointments, I address that. And I uh, I recommend different types of therapies for people that I think are in this chronic state of activation, which is a really, um, I think it's probably more relevant today than it was Mm -hmm. even 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, 25 when I started. Mm. um it it's people have a certain baseline activation now I find um that and what I mean by that is external stressors like either finances or climate change or whatever it may be it can trigger people and past old trauma and and ways of being and limbic system activation can happen because of perpetual trauma and this or or perpetual um, basically activation. And so it's just that pattern that gets reactivated where people are just very much in a sympathetic state, sympathetic nervous system state. So the fight or flight. And that can absolutely uh, make it so that it's very difficult to uh, to. To eradicate SIBO quickly. And so these are the people, like I mentioned before, that um, it's very slow going and we have to put put a lot of focus on, um, I often recommend things like hypnotherapy, the Nerva app, deep breathing, Gupta program, uh, brain uh, retraining um, or DNRS, or lots of different types of therapy depending on where they're at to really start connecting the the stress to their digestive system. And I think that's been really helpful, especially when people are really activated and um, have a lot of much more deep-seated conditions like MCAS. MCAS is just mm. phenomenal with, with addressing with um, the Gupta program, for example. Mm. So I do that much more. I have that conversation much more early on in our appointments now um, than just going through. Like for me, just treating bacteria is not even the fun part. You know, that's that's just okay. Too that's easy. what We have to do that's just a part of it. But really, yeah. you know, a lot of people have have um, this rigidity in the solar plexus when mm. they have this limbic system activation a lot of the time or trauma activation and that part is very often connected also to the fascia to the breath, you know to the diaphragm to breathing if you're not breathing deeply and you're always just shallow breathing when you're very stressed this is what happens and you're not really utilizing your diaphragm that can just get sort of stuck in this shallow breathing pattern mm-hmm. um that then you know the the lungs are meant to be massaging the transverse colon so there is also that mechanical motility that's that's missing from all this mm. so there's a lot to be said about people that are in a state of chronic stress or uh, trauma reactivation and all of that and luckily we now have a language to mm. to speak about this and to address it and to you know recommend different things to people like um somatic experiencing and mm different types of trauma work that I find are so profound and powerful.
1: Yeah. Why do you think that you said that you, you see it more now than what you did say 20 years ago? Maybe
2: I just, uh, I'm older, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm more aware of, yeah, I think Mm. so. And I was, I think like, you know, when you, when you first start your own practice and you're, you know, I was always a very driven person and I could really see that part of that was out of trying to get my own safety. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people just want to um, they're very driven for to be recognized as something. but for me, it was always about finding my own safety. And as you get older, that's the beauty of getting older. you know, for mm-hmm. me, I love getting older because I have some so much more of an understanding of my own patterns. And so seeing um, seeing that, and I had a lot of digestive issues, you know, now that I'm much more relaxed, I can actually see it a lot more in people and um i also think that we live in a much more stressed out world these days you know if you look at what just happened in uh, in europe over the summers with the fires and now you know like it's just it's just relentless the bad mm-hmm. news um and so i think it really has and then covid happened and the lockdowns and and now the you know the economy there's just always mm-hmm. something that seems to be um, really affecting people on a different yeah. level. And the gut will always be the getting the short end of the stick, so to speak, yeah. when, when stress is high. Poor little guts. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. But it is. It's a, like the big stuff happening in the world, although rationally we can be like, it's okay, it's fine, you know, inflation rising or whatever, but that ingrained part of us that's always our amygdala, like the survival brain, it can, like for some people, they can get in that chronic fight-flight state and, sure. not, and sure. not be able to switch out of yeah. it on their own.
2: Yeah, and a lot of it, it has to tools. do with safety, right? So the mm. whole limbic sy- system, including the amygdala, it's all about am I safe in this world, right? And so this is how we also know, for example, that adverse childhood events, mm. right, have, um, have a way of, Almost um, imprinting onto the microbiome, people ha- with with adverse childhood events are much more likely to experience IBS and so forth. And so, people with adverse childhood events then meet the stresses of more modern life, and that pattern just keeps
1: continuing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've I've seen that a lot. It is nice getting older. I'm almost hitting on 40 and I love my late 30s and I think 40s is just going to be even better. Oh my god, just wait till you get to be 50. Oh, it's the best. This is like loose and free.
2: Well, I like that that's never been my problem, but just more just more at ease within yourself and that's what I like, you know. I love it.
1: So cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It's been awesome. I know that our listeners are going to get so much out of what you've just covered today about SIBO and gut health. And if anyone wants to find out more about Dr. Narala and her, she's got so many things, so many awesome things. So there's the SIBO doctor.com for practitioners. You have heaps of courses. Yeah. I have the
2: SIBO. Yep. So thanks for that. I have, so if you go to the SIBO doctor.com, Um, There's a course for practitioners called the SIBO mastery course, which is very, very, very extensive a certification program. And then um, for for patients or SIBO sufferers, I have something called um, the SIBO success plan that includes how to get through the, um, the biphasic diet. And, you know, I add in lots of different home treatments and hydrotherapy treatments and all kinds of different things that you can do to um improve your symptoms whilst you're going through the um, protocol and then i have um different free resources and stuff so it's a really good informational site also for people if they want to check it out and then i have a podcast also that deals with all things SIBO that i've been doing for about um, almost seven years now
1: wow it's been that long
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah
0: That's awesome.
1: Podcast is awesome. You have amazing experts from all over the world coming on and talking about different areas of SIBO and how everything is connected. Um, Also, great free resources. So we were talking about the underlying causes of SIBO. So you have the What Cause My SIBO questionnaire, which we use in our practice. (laughs) Great, fantastic. And so many very helpful diets. So the SIBO, Biphasic Diet, Histamine, um,
0: oxalates,
1: yep. salicylates, yeah, we use all those. <laughs> and people can grab them off your website. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good resource for them.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I'll see you around the tracks somewhere at one of the conferences. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you. If you'd like to give us extra smiles, drop us a review and spread the love by sharing this episode.
0: You can also rate your own state of burnout and the root cause contributors by taking our Ending Body Burnout Assessment on our website. And if you're interested in learning about our group or one-on-one Ending Body Burnout programs, shoot us a DM via Instagram or Facebook. Have Have the the best best day day ever.